So this morning, we are going to be continuing our amazing series in John, and we're coming to the third of seven signs in John 5, the healing at the pool, uh, which is following these signs of the water being changed into wine and the healing of the official son. When you're at school, did you have textbooks that occasionally had the answers in the back of the book? Yeah. And I found sometimes, and I think particularly this was the case with the maths book, when I wasn't just looking for a number like 15, but when it was equations and things, I used to look at the answers in the back of the book and think, well, that's not what I've got. <laughs> how, how on earth did you get to that? Well, this morning I want to give you the, the answer, the conclusion of what I want to speak about right at the beginning to make it nice and easy. And I must confess, when Anna brought that um, interpretation of a tongue just early on, that amazing interpretation, I thought, she's just brought what I want to, brought, what I want to bring. But, but I've done a PowerPoint. And I want to show it. <laughs> So that, it's amazing. It is so amazing how God works um, in amazing ways. But this is the answer. <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely on. <laughs> Jen, would you mind? <laughs> So that's that one, right? So, God knows you, he cares for you, and has the power to change your life. God knows you, he cares for you, and he has the power to change your life. The Bible is going to show us this from a story of 2,000 years ago, yet he still does that today. So if you've got your Bibles, let's open to John 5. Jen, could you just click through, please, as I uh, read through this? Thank you. So John 5. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gates, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. 
The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, unbelievably, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well, he said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow that told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will help us understand that and apply it to our lives today. Because you're you're still doing the same thing today with us. Amen. So as I looked through the actions of Jesus in this short story, um, I saw a pattern within the text that was, that was repeated. And John is a master of structure in his Gospels. And I want to use this structure as we look through this particular passage together. So you'll, you'll sense me jumping from one end of the story to the other end because there, there's, there's two sequences that go through. That structure is, is repeated. And the structure looks like this. Thank you. Jesus is positioning, Jesus pursuing, Jesus perceiving, and Jesus' power. What was that? Yeah, you're right. They all start with P. Well noticed. So we first look at positioning. In verse 1, we have Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the second half of the story, after the healing, after the discussion that had been had with the Jews, Jesus slips away into the crowd. Jesus is positioning himself. And this primarily gives us the setting that the story is based. It's based in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. It's an unknown feast time. doesn't name what feast it is. There are number, numerous feasts it could be. But that meant there are lots of people around. And we have this specific location. And it's, it, it feels to me like it's a, a Google map that zooms in to this particular place. Zooms us right down into this pool of Bethesda. And in this place, which they discovered in the last, in the 19th century, as they, uh, um, as they um, dug it up, archaeology it. What's the word? Archaeology. An archaeologist found it. <laughs> um, there are two pools, one lying north and south, um, separated by having four colonnades around, and there's a fifth colonnade that sits between the two pools, hence this five colonnades that is mentioned here. And it seems this area acts as a, a cross between a daycare centre and a shrine, because there was some idea that an angel would come, put their um, wing into the pool, stir it up, and there was healing for the per- first person that got into the pool. 
clearly, clearly not something that happened very often because there were lots of people still lying around there. And that's where Jesus positions himself. That place at that time, which rather cheekily was on the Sabbath, which really winds up the legalists. And I sadly haven't got time to go into that. But we find a Jesus here who is earthed into our reality. He lives, he walks, he breathes amongst us. He became a man, revealing his father to us, but was limited by time and space. If he was at the pool of Bethesda, he was unable at the same time to be at the pool of Siloam. Okay? Fixed by by time and space. But when Jesus returns to heaven, God sends the Holy Spirit to be God on earth to us now where he is currently active and powerful. And the Holy Spirit is able to be everywhere. So we can all encounter him. We don't have to go to a particular place. But he inhabits our praises. And even this morning, as we were worshipping, the Holy Spirit was powerfully working across here. I could see him working as we were in those worship times. His Spirit was um, showing his love to us. Revealing his heart to us. The Holy Spirit positions himself now. We are inspired, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be God's agents, God's carriers here on earth. And he still does that today. We can ask the Holy Spirit to position us to be in the right place at the right time. We sometimes call these divine appointments. Just this week, I was having lunch uh, with, with a, um, a group lunch, but sat next to a lady and got chatting to her. And she was able to just speak into something which I was involved with, which really, really helped open something up for somebody else. So it was a divine appointment. I hadn't, I'd been praying for that. I often pray for divine appointments. But God, be putting you in the right place at the right time. I guess... I guess, though, if you are Jesus, it is a bit easier to have a divine appointment if you are God. Just just a thought. Just a free one. But we can ask to be led by the Holy Spirit in this way. We can ask that we are also in the right position. Secondly, we have the pursuing of Jesus. He doesn't just turn up at the right time or the right place. He comes with purpose and a desire to pursue that person. And he still does that today. Yeah. In verse 6, after the, after the back story of the pool, we read, Jesus saw him lying there. And in the second half, verse, 13, verse 14, Jesus found him in the temple. There's a pursuing by God of this particular man. But this man is, when you kind of read through and infer things, he's quite an unlikely man that we might consider to pursue. He had made his life out of waiting. And he's just selected by Jesus. We have no idea why or how Jesus selected this person. But he may not be the person that we might have selected ourselves. He's not named in this story. He's no, he has no friends. 
He's for 38 years, he's been an invalid. Perhaps he's become institutionalized, reliant on the charity, perhaps the charity of the synagogue. He blames someone else for breaking the Sabbath. Doesn't take his own responsibility. He didn't even find out who had healed him. And the first thing he does when he finds out that Jesus healed him, he grasped on him to the Jews. Well, that's an interesting character, isn't it? He may not have been the choice we would have made. There's no request for healing. There's no response to faith other than just being healed. And there's no record that he became a follower of Jesus after this event. It is all on Jesus. Jesus is the one who is pursuing him. This chap does not do an awful lot. And he still does that today. Jesus pursues you. Jesus pursues you. Whether you consider yourself a follower of Christ or not. When we become a Christian, we, we say that we've found God, don't we? And I became a Christian when I was, when I was 16 years old. Uh, I'm from, I was from a non-Christian background. I went on a, a Christian sports camp. And I'll be honest, I don't, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I thought Christians were like really boring <laughs> and really dull, um, hopeless at sport, no sense of humor, no dress sense. I thought they were just like really naff. <laughs> and um, I'm not looking around, so please. <laughs> And uh, this camp had a God slot on it, which I kind of reluctantly went along to. But meeting people on that camp, people my own age, who were good at sport, who were good fun to be with, like to laugh, just broke my idea about what being a Christian actually was. And through that, through the talks, through their witness, I, I found God. As you mature you realize the reality is that God found me. And when I look back, and perhaps you can do this as well, I can see all these signs previous to that of a connection with God, people praying for us as a family, odd conversation where there's just been this pursuing of God with me. And our response is one of gratitude. It's, it's one of amazement, isn't it? Why would you pursue me? Why would you do that? But he does, and he is. We may not be presenting as perhaps, as, perhaps as bad as man in the story, but, but deep down, we know ourselves. We know our greed. We know our selfishness. We know our faults and weaknesses. The things that we think but never actually say, or sometimes we say them, yet... Jesus loves and Jesus still pursues you. Despite all the rottenness we know that's in there, he loves and pursues us. We don't have to be perfect to be accepted by him. We don't have to be perfect to be baptized. Alternatively, we don't have to feel as bad as this guy in the story. God knows you. You. God knows you. 
He loves you and is pursuing you. Allow him to accept you as you are. Not having to work things up, become perfect before you come to him. He accepts you just as you are, pursuing after you. Hallelujah. Thirdly, we have perceiving. Jesus perceived something. In verse 6, he asks the man, do you want to get well? Perhaps this acted as a jolt in this man's apathy. He was perhaps still thinking of the magic in the waters that will make him well. And in verse 14b, Jesus reassesses him after the healing and says, see, you are well again. In both situations, there's a perceiving, a perception of this man's condition. Jesus shows an interest. Jesus shows a compassion for this individual and connects with him. Do you want to get well? Seems a bit of a strange question. Well, of course I do. But do you? Because it would have had a great impact on this man's life. He would have perhaps only known adult life as a paralysed man. His identity would be so intertwined with his disability. He may have become institutionalised with the rhythms of the city that cared for him, of life by the pool, reliant on charity, perhaps charity of the synagogue. So breaking out of that and being well would be a huge change for him. Huge. Do you want to get well? Now, I'm at, the, uh, I'm at the tail end of a back injury that I've had. It's only, only been perhaps six weeks I've had a bad back, just before Christmas it started. So I'm nowhere near 38 years. But what I found interesting is that people um, who have known about it, the first question they ask me is, how's your back? Now, thank you for that. That's wonderful. Showing an interest, people have prayed for me, I appreciate and love that. But it made me reflect on, sometimes, with that question, I don't become, I'm not Ian anymore, I could become the back problem. Now, I've no problems that that's happened to me, but 38 years... 38 years, his identity now, caught up with the paralysed man. And you're suddenly asked, in a second, a few seconds of a conversation, you're suddenly asked, do you want to get well? It's almost no wonder that he doesn't answer that. He starts talking about, well, the magic's not working. Linked up to his, his issues. And Jesus' compassion is seen here. And he still does this today. You will not be able to turn your eyes towards him and find that his gaze is not upon you. Have you been with someone and you're some, you realise they're not actually listening to you? You're having a chat. They're on their phone. Now, husbands and wives are looking at each other. Oh, my word. <laughs> You're on your phone, or you're looking beyond them, looking for who the person's next to speak. 
That's not the case here with Jesus. He has his eyes upon you. He is listening. He is there for you. And that question, do you want to get well, is such a profound one for us today. As we look to our own lives, as we look to the life of our nation, or the life of the nations, we see the effect of sin and the fall of man, the fall from grace. Man, do you want to get well? Do you want the wholeness, do you want the fullness that Jesus is wanting for you? And the answer to that question is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. It is Jesus' love that makes, he loves us so much, he doesn't want to keep us as we are. He wants us to be well. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be fulfilled in him. He perceives your need and asks for your assent to work into his lives. There's a wonderful old gospel hymn, which you may have heard as just at the beginning there, called It Is Well With My Soul. And this was written by the wonderfully named Horatio Spafford. Marvellous, eh? And in response to this question of, do you want to be well, this, this came to mind, this song. And on research, researching it, I found it was written by Mr. Spafford in the 19th century. And he was an American guy who was financially ruined in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. And he decided, along with his family, to come to the UK to join D.L. Moody in one of his great evangelistic campaigns that were happening in the UK. So they're all about to leave as a family and a business thing came up they had to deal with following his, his financial failure. So he stayed in the US, sent his family off onto this ship and it set sail going across the Atlantic and it sank. All four of their daughters drowned in that sinking and his wife was rescued. And on her arrival into the UK, she sent him a telegram and it simply said, saved alone. He then, weeks later, made his own way over to the UK. And as his ship passed that point, he was inspired to write this song. We have someone here who has truly discovered coming alongside Jesus, knowing the gaze of Jesus upon him, the love and compassion of Jesus. It is well with my soul. It is well. Despite my loss, I know I'm secure with Jesus. And our sickness is that we must be made well. It's so fundamental to the human race. And that sickness is putting ourselves at the centre and not God. 
And the whole Bible is written to warn us, to, to guide us away from doing that. And time and time again, we see the same thing happening. We need to be rescued from that. And that is exactly what Jesus offers us. But do you want to get well? That invitation is there for you. Are you prepared to turn away from all the things that have given you support and comfort, security, and to follow Jesus who will take you on an adventure of faith? And that is not solely a question for people who don't know yet know Jesus yet. It's a question for us that do as well. Are you satisfied with the comfort, with the support, with the security you have? Or do you want to say afresh, day by day, yes, Jesus, I want to go on your adventure. I believe you have more for me. I want to go on that step of faith. Finally, we come to power. The powerful, authoritative command of Jesus. Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. And in verse 14, stop sinning or something else worse may happen to you. This is such a sign of grace. This man didn't deserve this. He didn't even ask for it. And the man sold Jesus out on the first opportunity that he had. Jesus' command to pick up, to walk, came um, in no, no response of faith or belief in the man. It was just, do you want to get well? He was still focused on that magic pool in front of him. Jesus did straight away and in an instant what the pool had been unable to do for him for the last 38 years. He's not only able to walk instantly, he rolls up his straw mat, puts it on his shoulder, and walks away. That mat acting as a part of his empowerment. What he lay upon all these years, Jesus enables him to lay it upon his shoulders and carry it away. How empowering is that? Taking the thing that you've laid upon and carrying it away with you. Free and healed what Jesus has done. He's instantly healed by Jesus. Uh, Jesus is even aware that he's still sinning because later he tells him to stop. And I'm sure there were many other, perhaps even more deserving people around the pool at that time. But Jesus didn't heal. But he chose this man. That time that place. And that, my friends, is the scandal of grace. And he still does that today. If you knew someone who was living in sin as this man was, wouldn't your first thoughts be to get him out of it, teach him about it, put him a course, do alpha, whatever, get him out of this place? But Jesus didn't do that. He received the touch of God. He received the grace of God. And I want to illustrate this with a little thought experiment. Uh, we often see in our society, we see opposition. 
We see people who are in opposition together. Um, they may even become enemies. And one example I'd like to focus on is this post office scandal, which is still going on. And just even this morning, there was news about that this morning. But in this scandal that where you have been a, a sub-postmaster, your life has been ruined by this management of the post office, this horizon system, you could well imagine those people seeing the management of the post office as an enemy, as someone they are so angry over, the injustice that's been done in that place. And you might rile against them. Bring down thunder of heaven. Um, pour fire upon them because of this injustice they've done. And there are lots of psalms that speak about that. How would you feel that you hear that on their deathbed they pick up a why Jesus and they read it and they, with all sincerity, come to faith and they give their lives to Jesus. And they will stand now before God alongside you as someone who is clean and pure on that day of judgment. You might ask yourself, well, where's the justice in that? They have done wrong. They must pay for their misdemeanors. They can't go scot-free. They've wrecked people's lives. They've lied. They've conned people. Someone must pay. There is justice. Someone does pay. It's not them. It's Jesus. He will take away the case against them, the judgment against them. And you might feel indignant until you realize that's exactly the same thing that he has done for you. Brothers and sisters, we too stand under the grace of God. We do not receive judgment that we deserve. It's the scandal of grace. And the Daily Mail should investigate it. (laughs) He still does that today. God knows you. He cares for you and has the power to change your life. In this short passage, we have the actions of Jesus that are repeated twice. John is drawing our attention to it. The positioning of Jesus, the pursuing of Jesus, the perceiving of Jesus and the power of Jesus. If the music group can come up, please, that would be great. We, uh, this man, he, he didn't ask Jesus for healing. This man's mind was still on this magic pool. How much more 
does Jesus hear the people of God as we pray, as we seek after him. We have no doubt that he hears us. Perhaps we need more patience as we await for that response, that answer to prayer. And we are repeatedly encouraged in Scripture to be persistent in our prayers, not to give up, not to become cynical, but to lean into the presence of God. This morning, will you position yourself to receive from Jesus? This morning, will you pursue after him as he is pursuing after you? Will you allow him to perceive you and open up questions to you, to bring a challenge to you? Will you be in faith for his power to work in your life? Will you allow him to do today what he has done 2,000 years ago? I wonder if we could stand. He can do that just as we continue in our worship. His spirit can come and he can do that in your heart. I would encourage you to take that challenge yourself. But sometimes it's, it's helpful to have someone standing alongside you to be with you, to pray for you. And we have a, a ministry team in church. They're going to come out now. They're going to collect their badges and they're going to be ready if you want to have someone stand with you. But you can also ask a friend alongside to pray with you if you wish. The important thing out is to do minute, do time with God and have a response to the word of God.